0: Beyond the Wrench with Jay Ganatan from Find the Wrench. Welcome back another episode of Beyond the Wrench. We are excited to have you as always. Quick reminder before we get started that there is a new version of the Wrenchway mobile app available in app stores. Be sure to update to the latest version so you have access to our newest feature, Reverse Job Posts. Reverse Job Posts flip the traditional job board around, allowing for technicians to fill out a quick questionnaire about their skill set and what they're looking for in a shop, and it's all posted anonymously. Then shops can reach out to them with job opportunities and see if there's a fit. Be sure to update the Wrenchway app or download it if you haven't already to check out this awesome new feature. On to the winner of our weekly higher or lower game in the Wrenchway app. Uh, This is kind of an interesting conundrum that we haven't run into yet, but uh, the winner of this week's higher or lower game in the Wrenchway mobile app, uh, which was sponsored by Full Bay last week, is none other than my dad, Dan Ganinen, who apparently went on a heater with a high score of 37. We're still trying to figure out what we're doing with this gift card or how we're going to donate it. He also got the chance to win our Queen of Hearts pot, but thankfully did not win it. Uh, And the pot increases to $1,600. Apologies as uh, it's definitely not meant for family to win. Uh, but they are customers of ours. I think it's uh, <laughs> something where he didn't expect to win. He uh, talks to me frequently about how frustrated he is by the game and, and how he can't get the high score. So he got this week's high score, and uh, we're talking internally about how to handle that. So, uh, as far as the podcast for today, the podcast is a really, really important one. And our special guest was George Aarons. George is the VP at the ASC Education Foundation. He is a wealth of knowledge. He's been around the industry for a long, long time. And what we talked about in this week's episode is really why students are losing interest in the industry, the struggles of the industry in general, and how to build and run a successful mentorship program. It is really, really important, something that I would encourage you to take notes on during the course of this podcast. Just an extremely good podcast with uh, with our good friend, George Arentz. So hope you all enjoy the podcast. Enjoy George. He is a blast to listen to. He's even more fun to talk to. And one of my favorite people in the industry. So uh, hope you all enjoy and uh, have a great week. Hello and welcome back to Beyond the Wrench. My name is Jay Ganinen and today it is my pleasure to to welcome our good friend George Errants to the program. Uh, for those of you that live under a rock and don't know who George is, uh, he is the vice president for the ASE Education Foundation and uh, pretty much, I think, knows everybody throughout the industry. I, I could be wrong, George, but uh, welcome to the program. How are you?
1: Great. Thanks for having me, Jay.
0: Yeah. Well, it's uh, you're. Pretty infamous throughout, uh, throughout the industry, but for those of uh, our listeners that don't know who you are, why don't you tell them a, a little bit about what you do?
1: First of all, they're the lucky ones. So uh, <laughs> I'm uh, vice president of the ASC Education Foundation. Work a lot with uh, the schools and our foundation partners to form partnerships between industry and education. My background, I taught high school and college automotive uh, in the Houston area. Did some things over the years, uh, was heavily involved at what used to be known as AYES, was involved with President Bush's high growth job training initiative for the U.S. Department of Labor, received a Department of Labor grant, uh, along with some other folks to upgrade the nation's automotive programs, uh, visited the, actually was a guest of the government of Oman, and if you're geographically challenged like I am, it's between Yemen and Emirates on the Persian Gulf. Spent a week over there and. Clearly, halfway around the world, they're dealing with the same problems that we are here, you know, half a world away that the two don't communicate. And when we do communicate, we have lots of successes. When we don't, we have a lot of frustration. I think what we're trying to do here at the foundation is grow the number of programs uh, that are accredited, but more importantly, get more of the students that enter these programs through the pipe out of the education system, and in the workforce. And then once we have them in the workforce, we want to make sure that they stay with our industry and then don't go in other directions. So um, that's what I focus a lot of my time on.
0: Well, and one of the things that I think is really cool about what you've done is build some data to look at, right? And one of those concerns, I think, and something that'll be at the forefront of our conversation today is... Uh, truly the amount of people leaving the industry, right? And and I believe ASC has a, st- a statistic that we refer to a lot, but talk to us a little bit about that and and maybe some of the concern of, of people coming into the industry and not staying.
1: We did a survey in 2018 of students and graduates, and it stated that 42% of those entering, we lost in the first two years. We just did that survey again this spring and it's 41%. So it's, it's still holding strong. And that's not a good number. We've learned some other things through the survey. done a deeper dive. One of the things that we're finding is that if students are engaged in any sort of internship, work-based learning, apprenticeship, or for some of us, gray hairs and no hairs, what we used to call co-op, are involved in that, those students are staying in our industry a lot longer, if not truly making a career out of it. But those students that didn't get an opportunity to experience our industry while they were in school and then just did the education side and then were jumped into the workforce really struggle. And then where we have employers that are not prepared to onboard these individuals into their company culture, that's only made the, the problem even larger. And it, it's not one person to blame, it's everybody. We've got to work together. And I refer to it as the leaky pipe. You know, we've got a large number of students entering based on our accredited schools. We surveyed our schools this year. Uh, We touched over 120,000 students in our accredited schools this year in a COVID year with the help of Kyle Holt and the folks of SP2, which they work with accredited and non, they had almost 165,000 students. And so it's not like we're lacking individuals interested in our career. You know, a lot of people say this generation doesn't want to work with their hands. That's just an easy to say. And, you know, people go, yeah, that's it. That's not it. You got to drill down to where the real root cause is. And, As technicians, that's what we want. We want to find the root cause. And what we're trying to find out is what are the leaks in the pipe that are stopping the students from completing the programs? And then what are the concerns once they get in the workplace for not staying? And one of the things we did found, which is actually sad, is that 30% of the students, automotive students that were surveyed this year in the spring, said, the reason for them not taking the next automotive class in high school, they didn't see a defined career path. Mm. That is everybody's fault. Yes. You know, that's a problem in itself. If they don't see a career path, shame on us, shame on education, shame on everybody. Yep.
0: How do you see uh, from the standpoint of the shops, you've got to see some shops that are doing a good job at it. What are the ones that stand out in in that regard, In whether it's painting a career path or getting, getting those young people kind of actively engaged?
1: Some of the companies, whether they're large or small, really surveyed their internal people and looked at different ways. Some organizations are actually moving people within their organization that are in different positions in their companies and finding that they have the basic skill sets or talents and putting them through an internal apprenticeship program that is very regimented in detail. Uh, then you have other larger or smaller companies that are taking some of the things that they've heard from other people or seen, and they're creating their own smaller program themselves. And then you have some actual companies that are taking on training all by themselves. They're going to build their own training organization within their company, and they're going to train their own future workforce the way they want them. That model by itself is really just sad that industry is going to have to invest that much resources and profits and revenue to grow their own workforce when their feeling or their belief is they can't find it locally or within a, a radius of their establishment.
0: And do you I, I, are you seeing successes on that side from companies that maybe if they are taking that head on approach are are they maybe taking it more seriously once those people get into the workforce?
1: They're taking it really seriously and they're they're starting with cultivating individuals that they either know through outside the company or friends or whatever, and finding those individuals, and then kind of bringing them on slowly, but exposing them to what the day-to-day operations are in the organization, and then selecting individuals to work with alongside those as they grow. And they're making sure that those folks we refer to them as mentors, are truly being compensated for the job that they're doing. And we have to remember, if we ask a technician who's a revenue generating technician to not only do their job in our organization, but to nurture a new technician that's going to become revenue generating, they can't lose out financially or any other way because they're growing our business as a employer or an owner. We need to make sure that they're compensated for what they're doing and how they're growing the business and also recognizing them for what they're doing. But the selection of that individual is probably the most important decision a company will make and then we at the ASC Education Foundation are working on a new mentor training that's going to be more like a gaming to help people one determine do I want to be a mentor? is this really what's in it for me? And then when it is, what is really expected of me as a mentor and what lines should I not cross? You know?
0: Well, and that's where I I 100% agree with you. And a lot of shops that I've worked with or uh, worked for that mentorship piece has been not run well, right. Or it's just given to the best tech in the shop and said, Hey, teach this kid how to do whatever they're going to do. And and the tech might not have the best social skills, or might not really even care to help anybody else out. Uh, is that something that you see?
1: Yes, and Jay, you hit it right on. Your best tech is most likely your worst mentor. No offense to the best techs out there, but they're revenue generated, they're producing, they're focused, they're ninety to nothing. You know, you want somebody that's maybe been in the industry five, six, seven, eight years, maybe been within your organization at least a year or two, a gentleman who's no longer with us, Don Gray, who was president of AYES for many years, said it best, it's 4.30 on a Friday afternoon, and one of your best customers, Ms. Smith, pulls in, who are you going to ask to stay? That's probably the person you want to be your mentor. You know what I mean?
0: That is... Awesome. I've never heard that but put phrase that way before. That is spot on. That is really good.
1: That's the way, you know, Don put it that way and he made things easy for people to understand. And that's what it is. If you've got technicians in your organization that are involved in scouting or Little League or Pop Warner or church group, they're already used to working with youth. They would be excited and Maybe they're your first choice, but also recognize them as a mentor and for what they're doing in your organization and make sure that they get the recognition they also deserve. Another friend of mine says, we're never looking for a cookie, but it sure does taste good when you get one. You know, it's <laughs> it's kind of the simple things that we need to do. And I know that in the old AYES days, we actually had a patch that said AYES Mentor and then a, a plaque that went on their toolbox and some other things it's those little recognition pieces that people are looking for and may may not be looking for but you want to distinguish them and then also once you establish that mentor in your organization there may be other techs that see what that mentor is doing with that individual and maybe go to the manager or the owner and say i think i can do that too some people most likely possess the skills, but they're afraid to raise their hand. But once they see somebody else doing, they go, I can do that.
0: Well, that's, that's where a culture shift starts too, right? When you see somebody doing it the right way and it's one of, you know, I think it's really easy if that best tech is the mentor and that individual doesn't want anything to do with mentorship for everybody else to follow suit. And that all of a sudden you have a culture that doesn't want to help a young person out when they get in and probably alludes to that, that percentage that you talk about of people that don't stick in the industry. Whereas if you do get that person that goes the extra mile and really is is painting the picture, even if they're not your best best technician, but they're willing to do that extra thing you know i think that's how you start to change the culture in a shop is is really by action right
1: well right and you have some managers or some owners that don't want to take an entry level i'm going to hire an experienced guy great and you're going to hire some baggage you don't know how much or when it's going to show up but you're going to hire some baggage but the reason they don't want to is because of their previous experience and The situation I'm getting ready to explain to you, most of your listeners have either been involved in that situation or heard it. You hire this young kid out of this tech school, rolls in his brand new red toolbox. You put him on a job first day and the kid screws it up. Well, did this kid screw it up or did he just do it different than you? Did he do it the way he or she was trained? The process and procedure and your organization circumvents that process and procedure in order to get the customer's car out faster. And was there anybody to tell that individual, that's not how we do it here, this is the way we do it? No, and if there was nobody, you're looking at the kid going, I can't believe I hired him, and now there's confrontation and the kid walks. And the kid walks to another industry and still working with his hands, just not working with us. And that's what I call the eating our young. and. That's your fault. Your fault for setting him up for failure or her up for failure.
0: Well, and let's face it. I mean, if they drive past an Amazon warehouse and see that uh, Amazon is paying more and they don't have to go through the frustration of being belittled in in a shop, if you put yourself in their shoes, the choice is pretty easy.
1: And they don't have to buy their own tools and all the other stuff. And and they also know what they're going to be paid and they know if they do certain things their pay is going to increase. That's one of the things that we lack a lot of times in our profession is a short-term career path for these entry-level folks. We're going to start you here at this, but once we know you can do this this and this, we're going to move you to here and to this pay grade. And ASC has a U.S. Department of Labor registered apprenticeship that we just started. We're piloting it in Phoenix with 36 apprentices. And it's it's what we call competency-based. And that means when these apprentices complete these certain skill sets three times proficiently, they move to the next pay scale. When they do this next level, they move to the next pay scale. So they control their own pocketbook at this point. And We or employers need to understand when you bring these individuals in, it's not just what they're going to make on the first day, but how long is it going to take me to get to the next pay grade and the next pay grade? What is in it in the next 18 months? And those companies that are doing that, those students understand there's carrots and sticks. People say this generation doesn't believe in it. They do. As long as they know what the rules are up front, they're good with the rules. It's when we don't define the rules or change the rules that really they struggle with.
0: You know, it's funny to me, and this is something that I I think you do such a good job at articulating on is that kind of taking away some of the fallacies of generational gaps or that, you know, just because that millennial or Gen Z does it differently than we do, that it's wrong. And I, I don't know if you remember this, but there was a speaker down at TMC in Raleigh uh, a few years back. And I, I remember you being there, but I don't know if you caught the speaker, but she had such an impactful presentation. And in that presentation, she put up a cover of a, it was like an old magazine or something. And, or it was, it, it was just the titles of a magazine. And in that it said, what they thought of the next generation. Well, what it was, was the older generations talking about baby boomers, but it was exactly like carbon copy. You could take that and put it today on what baby boomers think of millennials, right? And so it it was funny how this isn't anything new. This has been going on for years and years and years, right?
1: Since Moby Dick was a guppy, you know what I mean? And then we, we, we talk about millennials and Gen Ys and Gen Zs and all that. But anybody who's on this call, if you're a parent or a grandparent, it's our fault. We've been giving them a trophy for last place since they were six years old when we should have said, pick another sport. You know, there are winners and losers. And and now that they're in the workforce, we still have to give them something. You know, they show up on time for three days and they want a prize. You tell them, well, the prize is your paycheck. No, I want something else. You know, it's one of those things, but we can't blame them. We created that. And the baby boomers, when we were young and, and, that generation was complaining about us. It's their fault. They created us. You know what I mean? And it's been that way ever since. So let's be honest. Most of us are afraid to take blame, but we got to look in the mirror and go, yeah, we did that. <laughs> yeah. We gave them all trophies.
0: <laughs> I, I have to give a shout out to, uh, to Kristen Battaglia, who, you know, really, really well. And one of the things yep. we've, we've talked about, is uh, hopefully someday somebody comes up with like an encyclopedia of Georgeisms uh, that uh, as as uh, you've you've got all these great sayings and I I uh, they're they're amazing so I someday somebody's going to come up with all of those I think and put them in one spot because then uh, I'll actually be able to remember them but they're uh, they're always great but one of the things I did want to mention was being a part of the problem and looking in the mirror. And I go back to my time when I was actually hiring technicians for myself. And I think I was part of the problem. And the the reason I say that is I used to say when I would have a tech student come out and they would come work for us and, you know, we were working through a mentorship program. One of the things I would say was that hiring a tech uh, out of tech school was similar to baseball in that if you batted 300, you'd be in the hall of fame. And what I meant by that was three out of 10 students worked out that's not good and and that is something that was reflective of my leadership and my you know management because i shouldn't have been saying it that way i should have been saying hey listen if we're if we're batting 300 that's terrible like what can we do to make sure that that gets up to 500, 750, you know, whatever it is. So that one, we know the the people that we're bringing into the program to start with have the ability to be able to perform to our levels or our standards. But then two, once we get them in, what are we doing to to groom them and, and treat them better? And that's something since I've stepped back, I look at it and I'm like, man, that was stupid on my part.
1: You know, certain companies have what they call a retention rate, you know, They have this many technicians, this turnover, and some companies look at it pretty seriously. And if any of the folks on this podcast today, if you actually knew what it cost you to hire a technician, you take a completely different view. And I know with my uh, experience with TMC, about eight or 10 years ago, I asked some of the fleets what that cost was just to put a technician on the shop floor. That means a manager one day decided they have a position open, they notified HR or whoever, and when the process was completed and that technician showed up on the first day, what was all of the cost? 10 years ago, it was anywhere from $7,500 to $9,000. Folks, if you have a 20% turnover rate and you've got a f- fair number of technicians, is that a really a good way of spending your money? But also the technicians that stayed that were negatively influenced by somebody leaving affects productivity. I've said it a million times, if you've never been a technician and you never had to move your toolbox, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But when you make a move as a technician, if you believe it's for 25 cents more an hour, we've been telling you that for four decades and it's still 25 cents an hour. I got a bridge for sale. What we're truly saying to you is the unknown is better than staying with you. Now, that's the harsh reality. Some people don't want to hear that, but that's what it is. And if you've got what you feel is a excessive turnover rate, it's once again, time to look in the mirror.
0: Well, and we still, I mean, in dealing with Industry and our clients specifically, something we try to coach them on is getting out of the mentality of everybody's replaceable, right? And I've worked for people that have had that mentality where, okay, this person doesn't work out, screw them, we're moving on to the next one, and I don't think you can do that anymore. Like I, I really don't, because it, it one, people feel that so it, and the folks that i identify with or that i've i've seen this in action with have said one thing behind closed doors and then a different thing when they're in front of their team and even when they're saying it in front of the team you could tell it's not genuine and it's not you know it's not reflective of of really what they're truly feeling and that's where putting that effort into a mentorship program, putting that effort into retention is so vital to our industry and removing that mentality that just everybody's replaceable. And if you don't work out, screw you, I'll go get a different person. We got to change that a little bit, don't we?
1: A lot of bit. And, you know, those of us, they're the baby boomers. You know, we had a sweet floor, so we think they do. That's a crock. You know what I mean? My Spanish teacher from high school was a really good guy. I didn't learn any Spanish, but I sure learned a lot about (laughs) life. And what he taught me, really important, was water seeks its own level. You are who you associate with. So you have to remember as an employer, if you're working with your local tech school or trade school, and you take on an intern or an apprentice or work-based learning, and you treat that individual bad, guess what? He or she is going to tell everybody they know. And nobody's going to want to work for you. And think about it. Also, your brand is going to be negatively out there in social media, that you are not a good place to work. And it could affect your business from other people that listen to that social network. You know, you got to remember, there's there's residual effects of everything that we do today. We are We don't have the luxury of picking and choosing and just three out of 10. We have to look at the individuals that are interested and have a basic knowledge, and we have to grow them. Everybody learns at a different rate and a different way. And if your company is willing to do that, you're probably not on this podcast because you got it figured out. But the rest of the folks that are on there going, what this guy's talking about is too much work. Yeah. Let's see who's around in three to five years.
0: Yep. 100%. And uh, there's a reason why this part or, and this piece with the mentorship and, and young techs is so, I guess, important to me that we fix because I was one of those young techs that sucked at it, right? And it was because I, I came out and one, I was young, really young and thought I knew more than I did. But then two, as I got out, there wasn't a whole lot of support within the shop that I was working with to really to really help me out. And it was truly that you got in the shop. I went through tech school and they expected that I was going to be thrown on a scope and be able to diagnose things (laughs) like immediately. And it just, it's not, it's not realistic. And not only that, being able to build confidence in a young person when they come into a shop is a big deal. I did not have any confidence when I was coming into the shop as a young tech and not, you know, you start building on struggles. And that's where I eventually was just like, Hey, you know what, this isn't for me, I'm going to go work selling parts and do you know, and go that direction, because this isn't something I'm good at. It's funny, because now I, I love kind of tinkering with things in my garage and tearing stuff apart. And it's just a completely different mindset from when I was a young tech and was expected to put out hours right out right off the bat. And, you know, I think there's some level of, with a good mentorship program, you can do that. You can instill confidence. You can build them up so that they're ready to go when, when the time calls and, and you have a feeling of where they're at in their progression. And I, I just, I think that is so vitally important to any program that anybody's putting together.
1: It is. And if we step back for a second, we as baby boomers, you know, we live to work. We always have. And this generation works to live and maybe they got it right. It's that balance. But also what we forget is as baby boomers, most of us were brought up. Mom and dad had the same last name. Dad worked. Mom stayed at home and we had one car. That's that was Ozzy and Harriet. And the millennials are going, who the heck are Ozzy and Harriet? They're, they're two dead people, but they were funny when they were. But anyway, that's not the makeup of today's family. And. With this generation, especially those that were brought up in single parent homes or raised by grandparents or whatever, one of the things that they're looking for in the workplace is to be part of a family, be part of something. And if you're with a young technician, eight hours a day, five days a week, you spend more time with that individual in their life than anybody else in their life. And you have to understand that. And if you can make them feel like they're part of something and part of your organization, they're going to stay. If you can't, they're going to find the companies that can. It's pretty simple. It's not always about the money for them. You know, They want that life balance, but they want to know they're part of something. They're making a difference.
0: Yeah. And I think- When you do have a good mentorship program, or not even just from a mentorship standpoint, but when you treat them like humans, uh, I think that goes a long way, right?
1: It's not rocket science. You know what I tell people? I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I'm just happy to be in the drawer. You know, it's one of those things. It's just treat people like you want to be treated. You know, also, if you can't see your children or your grandchildren working in your place of business, neither can I. You know what I mean? We have to take a different approach and we have to nurture them, but their loyalty is there. You just have to show them first that you're committed to them. And if not, you're going to get what you've always got. And that's where a solid mentoring program comes into effect. And you're right. Some of these kids could be mentored for three, four, five, or six months, and then they're they're gone. They're working, they're producing, and then some of them may take a little bit longer. It shouldn't be a time element. Everything should be based on their ability to do these things, competency based. Time is just a number. We all learn differently. We all work at a different pace. We all look at things differently. Take each one of these individuals and move them into your organization at a pace that works best for them.
0: How, how much of an impact do you think managing to the bottom line has with this? And and when I say that the need for a manager to produce results from a financial aspect and maybe they can't find help for the shop. Uh, you know, obviously there's, there's uh, some level of desperation from some shops and trying to find help, but when you're managing to that bottom line and maybe you've got that individual in the shop that isn't, isn't producing or isn't putting out hours. Do you think that's driven some of this problem?
1: A lot of it. So you could have, you could have the case where the owner of the company is all bought into mentor interns and mentors and nurturing, but then they decide they're going to pay the student twelve dollars you know an hour, you know, not flat rate, but twelve dollars an hour, and puts that expense on the parts and service director or the manager. Wait a minute, why are you affecting his profit or her profit and loss when you wanted this program? And this program is ultimately gonna benefit your business and your bottom line, you need to handle the expense in this transition. If not, you're paying these people and bonusing these people on this criteria and they're going to do everything in their power to meet that criteria. And if their bonus objectives and yours are not in line, the student loses every time. student loses every time.
0: Well, it goes back to communication, right? Because th- those are two different lines of communication there. And if you're a service director, a, a service manager, and you're trying to hit your yep. goals, yet you're getting chewed out for not mentoring that person, right? At, like how how internally conflicted are you on what am I, what the hell am I supposed to do here?
1: And that's a problem we've, we've seen for years and years. The guy or gal at the top of the food chain bought in a hundred percent, but they leave all of the responsibilities on the person that had No input into the project and no input of how it's going to be implemented. And they fail. And then somebody goes, well, that didn't work. Well, did it not work or did you just do it wrong? You know, and you can't rush into this either. It's got to be well thought out. And it's important to talk to other people who are doing it and finding out what they had to do to be successful. And sometimes you just got to make some changes within your organization. I don't know how many times I've heard we can't hire them under 18. Do you know that or do you think that? Because if you look at most liability policies, they can be there at 16. They can't drive, but they can be there. You just don't want to do it. And it's your knee jerk reaction and the school goes away. Well, guess what? The school goes away. But that kid goes to work somewhere else, and then you sit and complain, and you show up at an association meeting or come to one of these podcasts, and you expect us to give you the the golden key. <laughs> well, the golden key is get involved. You know what I mean?
0: It it is, and part of me this is even maybe taking this a, a one step further in you know that that relationship where maybe the dealer principal or owner of a independent shop, whatever it is might be fully bought in and task the service manager, service director with that. But I wonder how often maybe that service director or service manager is thinking, I'm not going to be here in five years. I don't care. You know, like if they're being treated, if they don't feel like they're being treated fair and maybe that they don't like the business and and the owner ownership group or owner in general doesn't have a good feel for that. They're just not going to put the effort into growing it to that point. Cause all they care about is that they're getting their paycheck at the end of the week. And, and maybe they're you know, yeah, the long-term growth of the shop is great, but if I don't plan on being there and I haven't told anybody that, but I'm sitting on my hands here and um, I'm, you know, I'm kind of sitting back. I think there's a real disconnect there too.
1: There's, there's a huge disconnect there. It's also like when an instructor says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm retiring in a couple of years. My response to that is you already retired. You just forgot to tell somebody, you know, You don't have a job that you can skate for the last couple years. Your job is to produce the future workforce and train these individuals. You can't stop any time except for the last day. You know, that's it. But people that say, nah, it's not in for me. I'm going to retire. You already did. And somebody who's looking at their job as, I'm not going to be here in five years. All they're looking out for themselves. They are not truly looking to provide opportunities for young people in an industry that's been very good to them. And no matter what they say, if they've been in this business their entire career and they live pretty good, this business, good or bad, has been good to them. And they are denying other individuals the opportunity to find out what a great industry this is because they're not willing to put in the effort. You expect 100% of your people, but you're not willing to give 100%. You're the problem.
0: What would you say if you were one of those managers that you're in a position where you wouldn't recommend your child or one of your friends come work for you uh, because you don't feel like it's a good place, but maybe you're just kind of keeping your eye out? And I feel like there's a lot of that out there where they're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. I think I know the answer, but I'm curious to to understand or or hear your thoughts on something like that.
1: I've been in some of those places in the past and I didn't stay long. I'm going to be honest with you, but if I was in a position as a manager, first of all, I would make sure my, my guns loaded. You know what I mean? I would do the due diligence to be able to tell the individual why I think that way. This is what I know. This is what is going on in, our organization, this is going on, what's going on in our shop. And these are the reason that we're either losing techs or the techs don't feel that they're appreciated or that I know that this is not a good environment to bring other individuals in. You have to bring that to the owner or the person in charge. And at that point, you guys either need to decide you're going to fish or cut bait, you know? And sometimes as an individual, especially somebody like me, who's passionate about this industry, if you're not in it, For all of us, I'm gone. And that's a tough decision to make sometimes, but let's be honest. What does it do inside to you? How does it fester inside of you every day or every evening? And how does it affect your quality of life? Because I don't care what you say. Just like if you're a police officer or an EMT, you take the job home. No ifs, ands, or buts. Yep. whether you know it or not, your family knows good or bad, or if you've had a good day or not, or if there is conflict within you. And that's, that's not a good way to be.
0: No, it's not. And that's something I think every person in leadership should be well aware of. Listen to some other people, uh, content producers that talk about if you own a business or if you're running a business, nobody's going to care more than you. And you have to make sure that you understand that and that you, you can talk to your people candidly about some of this and not have them kind of hold back or hide things. And one of the things that I I I feel really passionate about is don't discourage somebody if if somebody leaves your company and and they do it, you know, in a good way. And that, you know, that you're not discouraging them, that you're encouraging them to, to do better in their career. And that way that those other people in your shop see that you treated them well when they left. I see it all the time where if somebody leaves a shop, they get treated like garbage and their name drugged through the mud and, you know, sometimes fairly, a lot of times unfairly. And, you know, everybody else sees that. And I don't think that's a good way to go about it.
1: It's not. Anytime you talk negatively about an individual or a subject, you don't know how those other people think about that subject or that individual. And now all of a sudden, you're taking some individuals that may have looked up to you before, and now all of a sudden question who you really are. And you don't want that. You know, my Spanish teacher from high school, again, says, if you argue with a fool in public, innocent bystander doesn't know there's a difference. So if you just keep your mouth shut, you're okay. They may think you're a fool, but you can't prove it till you open your mouth. You know what I mean? (laughs)
0: I love that. I love that. I think I would have loved your uh, your Spanish teacher too. That, that sounds like a good person. He he
1: was a, he was a great man. I truly uh respected him in high school and out of high school. We stayed in contact for many years and uh just a just a great man and uh treated everybody equally. There were rules And there were consequences and that was his other ones. If there are no consequences, there are no rules and everybody got treated the same. So whether you were the A student or barely passing, you know, George, uh, everybody got treated the same. You know what I mean? (laughs) And uh, I respected that. I crossed the line, got a SWAT. Okay. I can deal with that. You know what I mean?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love that. So let's, let's talk a little bit here uh, to end the podcast on say, you've you've got a good manager you've got maybe just a really good team and you're trying to put together a mentorship program uh for you know to ensure that the future of your workforce is in place what are some some tips to putting a good mentorship program together uh for you know for those young people that and and maybe not even necessarily just young people but maybe you got a vet coming out that wants to come work for you and you want to put those through, those people through uh, a program any any tips to getting a, a mentorship program off the ground?
1: So, as I said earlier, we're working on something that will be uh, available. Believe it or not, some of the older material from the old AYES, Automotive Youth Education System model, which was written in the late 90s, early 2000, is still relevant today. But remember, a mentorship program doesn't have to come from our industry. You can draw from a mentorship program from construction trades, cosmetology, you know, nursing, whatever. And if you're involved in co- co- uh, community organizations, Rotary, Chamber of Commerce, different organizations like that, you'll find people that are doing something with mentoring. And there is a lot of stuff out there. Don't narrow your, your search for just automotive mentoring or truck or collision. No, you just want mentoring, period, and find out who's doing it, how they're doing it, and before you do anything, go see how they're doing it and talk to the people that are actually engaged. And by talking to the people that are engaged in it every day, you'll get a, a true understanding if it really is working or somebody just believes it's working. And mentors or apprentices, they'll tell you. And there's there's some great programs out there. And a lot of them, somebody just decided, okay. If I treat people right and treat people the way I want to be treated and give them every opportunity to succeed, we should do fine. And sometimes it's just as simple as that. And uh, we'll, we'll learn as we go and we'll make changes along the way. And it's never going to be perfect right out of the box.
0: Well, and what I'll say to add on to that, George, is that when you see it done right, you can tell. Uh, it's not, it, it, I don't know if there's anything like when you walk into a shop or like you said, any business that w- when they have a good program and maybe they don't even call the mentorship program, but they're helping young people out and helping them get their their feet on, under them. You get yep. feel it when you walk in because that's most likely not the only thing they're doing well. They're doing a lot of things well.
1: and Doing a lot of things well. That's right. Yeah. And and it's a feel, right? And whether it's young people or veteran, there's still that transition. Even the military calls it that transition from military to civilian life. Well, it's a transition. And if we want good people to work for us and more importantly, to stay for us and produce, we've got to help them in that transition. And if we're not willing to help them in that transition for us, they will find somebody who will.
0: Well, and and you're leading the way on this thing, George. I I think um, we've had you on for some other content, and have been lucky to have you on some roundtables, and and you and I have done some other stuff uh, together. I think what you're doing is just really cool. I think you anybody that talks to you sees the passion that you have for this business and for this industry, and and that goes a long ways. I mean, I think being able to lead by example and and showing people the way is is a huge deal, and you do it better than anybody else. So. I, uh, I appreciate all your efforts that you're, uh, you're putting out there.
1: Thank you. And I tell people I'm pretty blessed in my career, always have been, good or bad. And this is my industry. But think about it. At this point in my career, I'm help changing the lives of people I'll never meet, you know, and somebody's paying me to do it. It doesn't get any better than that. You know what I mean? I mean, this is a great industry. It always has been a great industry. And there's so many opportunities, and sometimes it's just little conversations like this that change the mind or the opinion of somebody, and they change the direction either of what they're teaching in their program or what they're doing in their shop or how they're hiring and retaining individuals. Bottom line is, if this industry has been good to you, you need to be good to the future because the past helped you get here. Man,
0: that's powerful. That's good stuff. That's that's uh I, I could not say it any better than that. That is that is amazing. And I uh appreciate you being on the podcast, George. Uh if if people want to reach out to you, how do they get in touch with you?
1: Easy. Uh George.arens at the asc education You can find me just google it's scary but you'll be able to figure out where i am or what's going on
0: we'll get a link to uh, to george's information in the podcast notes as well but we we greatly appreciate you taking the time today george uh to to sit down and talk to us about this and and hope that we can have you on again
1: jay a pleasure and hope everybody has a wonderful and safe weekend
0: take care